This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. And my guest today is from the Save the Sound. He's soundkeeper Bill Lucy. Bill is a fish and wildlife biologist with more than two decades of experience studying and conserving marine life. He is also an experienced commercial fisherman and environmental educator. As your on-the-water watchdog, Bill upholds Save the Sound's mission to protect and restore Long Island Sound. Bill is backed by the Save the Sound's expert legal team and our water monitoring program to help identify polluters and hold them accountable. The Soundkeeper is your eyes and ears on Long Island Sound. Welcome, Bill. Oh, thank you for having You're, me. So you, you walk in the door and you say, I just got pictures of six dead turtles that they found. So, I mean, this is your life, right? This is what happens. Uh, hopefully not every day you get six dead turtles. Yeah, no, I, I'm driving down the I-95 trying to make it here in time for the show. All the while, I'm getting texted these pictures of dead terrapins down at Black Rock Harbor. Okay. And so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. We have a really good relationship with uh, Lauren Mappa, who, who runs both the wastewater treatment plants there. So I contacted her, contacted someone at Deep, um, and also my assistant. So, because I'm not sure when I'm going to get down there. Maybe after the show, I'll go check it out and uh, freeze them. But you don't usually see nine dead terrapins floating around in the same area. Something, something happened. I don't know if it was the heat. Could have been a really hot, hot thing, but I, you know, wasn't that hot today, so I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, well, it's kind of early. You just got it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure you'll figure it out. I hope it's not not something like a spill or something that yeah. killed them, but that's a shame that, that we lost those today. So this is the kind of stuff you around, find out about and look look around for our sound. You know, Save the Sound's great organization, the real supporters of WPKN, and we appreciate them greatly. And we appreciate your work, too. It's, it's, it's cool that somebody's keeping an eye on what's going on in the sound because it's sort of like a huge bathtub right i mean it's not it's not very big and it's limited in its size and scope right yeah really i mean what's 106 109 miles long mm-hmm. and if your boat's going 30 miles an hour it doesn't take four four and a half hours you can go end to end right. um and you know from bridgeport to say to port jeff on a comp you know, has to become water to make that kind of time, but you know, Port Jeff, the Bridgeport's forty-five minutes. So, all as like you said, it's like kind of small. So a lot of stuff goes into it from both Long Island side and from the Connecticut side, and that's what's worrisome, right? Yeah. So uh, the watershed's not small. Long Island Sound, in rel- relation to the watershed, it may be small, but the watershed starts in Canada. So in Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, they all drain into Long Island Sound. Wow. You never so, really think about that. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the recent storms they had in Vermont and even parts of Connecticut, there are advisories now. I get Coast Guard advisories beamed into my phone all the time, and there's logs floating out there, chunks of dock, all kinds of stuff got taken out by those floods, entered the Connecticut River, and where does it go? Right in the Long Island, Long Island Sound. Sound. And yeah. what happens if somebody goes and cleans it up, or are these... Oh. It just floats away into the Atlantic? or Yeah, it eventually ends up on your beach somewhere. And if it's a log, maybe that's not a big deal on the beach. But if it's a boat or uh, oil cans or, you know, some kind of pollution. Sink a boat, right? Up. Oh, yeah. There was a couple boats floating out there from what I heard submerged. 
half yeah. submerged. Yeah. Is that from upstate or I mean up up country or is it was it something down here? I believe so. Yeah, I'm not really sure because I never saw them. I just heard the alerts saying, "Don't run into these things." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a torpedo. It's like, it reminds me of uh, the African Queen, right? The, the, that's right. <laughs> sticking out of the water, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. That, that's a drag. So, give us a little state of the uh, the sound. I mean, what's the what's the report card right now? You know, what do you think? Yeah, so I was looking at the uh, latest Long Island Sound Water Quality Monitoring Program report right here. Mm -hmm. And that is a survey that's done. Um, New York has buoys. Connecticut has buoys. There's interstate buoy management. So if you're out on the sound and you see those big yellow buoys out there, they're recording temperature, they're recording wave heights. And then there's also the Jack Dempsey which is the Connecticut deep boat, and they're going out and they're doing water sampling. So they sample the oxygen and the temperature down at the bottom of the sound and also at the surface. And it's warm. I mean, July is when we start seeing issues with oxygen typically. It's kind of an average year. Some stations are worse than last year. Some are better. So this is really a trend over time. The trend over time, actually, though, has gotten better. It's If you took from 2015 forward and did statistics just on that chunk of time, you'd overall see a reduction in the amount of the sound that's losing oxygen, which kills fish and lobsters and everything else. Is that a function of the fact that the runoff is, doesn't have as much nitrogen and stuff like that, or is it a function of that the, it's actually staying kind of cool? No, it's the function of the Long Island Sound Nitrogen Action Plan. So you have both New York and Connecticut have thrown billions of dollars at cleaning up and upgrading their wastewater treatment plants. Cool. Because they all have discharge permits under the Clean Water Act. So we can say, you know, you can't release more than five, let's say five milligrams of nitrogen. And if you get below that in Connecticut anyway, you get nitrogen credits. So if you're really on top of your game and you're doing a better job than you need to under the law, you can trade that those credits to, a, a, say, another plant that doesn't have the resources or is farther behind on cleaning up. But I heard from the state this spring, I think the governor made an announcement on it, but the, the nitrogen credit value was the lowest it's ever been in the history of the nitrogen credit trading program, meaning everybody's doing a good job. So it's actually good news. Oh, good. Yeah. So the plants have, are really doing a good job of upgrading. There's still, there's still work to be done. But um, now the problem, a lot of the problem is us, all that non-point source pollution stuff. Um, what is lawn, that? Lawn fertilizers, pet wastes, uh, tran- you know, there's nitrogen coming out of the air with all the transportation. And, and, of course, we've got the combined sewer overflows. We still have six towns in Connecticut that when it rains a certain amount, the plants can't handle it. So you have to shunt some of that rainwater into the sewer main and then let it go out these side culverts. And it has stuff in it. It's Yeah, it's diluted sewage, and it goes right into mm-hmm. the sound. And it, when that hurricane hit uh, a few years back, it came right across New York and then went up upstate New York. I had some property up there, and the people up there got inundated, like, like Vermont did, flooding. And I ran. I bought a tractor from a guy. Right. And he had a problem. He was working for the state and he was on cleanup and he lost a lung because of the pollution that was in the waters from the flooding. And that's the first time I learned that these storms are washing things out of people's 
you know, where they retain the chemicals after they use them or it's, it's the oil from their boilers or whatever it is. All of a sudden, everything is inundated. And if you had an organic farm, it ain't organic anymore. That's a real, yeah. If you remember after Katrina, yeah. I mean, that's, that's chemical alley. Some people call yeah. it cancer alley down there. Yeah. You have all you have different laws uh, in the, that portion of the country, and all those huge tanks of chemicals just emptied out, and the entire all the floodwaters were heavily toxic. Sure. And then when it heats up, of course, all those chemicals mix together, and it becomes aerosol. So you're breathing wow. that stuff. Yeah, that's and what maybe, happened to him. That yeah, sounds like he lost yeah. a lung. Yeah, it was. I was Brutal. like shocked when he told me that, yeah. and he was just doing his thing, you know, helping to clean up the mess, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in North Carolina, I think they had a pig farm, which keeps the poop in huge pools. And then the storm came through, broke the dam on the on the pond, and all that pig poop came down into the water. Oh, yeah. So I'm also part of the Waterkeeper Alliance. So Terry Backer was the original soundkeeper, and he's one of the eight founding members of the Waterkeeper Alliance. And um, for several years now, they've been leading a campaign against what they call CAFOs. That's where they CAFOs, still, yeah. Yeah, CAFOs, they still, they they store all that pig uh, manure. These are factory animal farms. Folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, giant, not in your backyard pig pig farming guy. You know, I look at things through a commercial fishing lens, and I started reading in a national fisherman about blue crab fishermen who were out catching blue crabs, emptying their traps downstream from some of these blowouts of this this pig feces. And they were getting all kinds of diseases because, you know, blue crab are sharp. You're always poking yourself and uh, getting open wounds. And, and then you get infected. Yeah, and then your arm's, like, paralyzed. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Yeah. Well, that, that's, you never think about these things. I mean, last time we spoke, you mentioned that a big problem is that all the tiny, tiny microscopic particles from tires and stuff on the highway after a big rain, that goes into the runoff and goes down into the sound. I, was, I didn't even think about it. You don't think about these things. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people... People don't. A lot of it, you don't see it. You know, I was at, uh, I was talking with some people in Bridgeport last week, sort of doing a roundtable on climate change. And there's folks that know that you can't go swimming sometimes, you know, at, at, at seaside, but they're not sure why. And so that that's incumbent on us to start educating people about bacteria, where it's coming from, Vibrio. You know, there was three people got sick last week from Vibrio. And really, what yeah, is that? It's a it's a virus that or a bacterial infection that um, um, you can get from shellfish or just an open wound. Mm -hmm. And a couple people just had cuts on themselves and went swimming in the sound. And there's been all these storms, and like you said, all that crap's going into the the water. The, there was one person with shellfish, but they're from an, out of state. So what the state's done in Connecticut with shellfish is they have, an, they have a rule where when you harvest shellfish, it goes in and gets cooled down instantly. So they haven't had a problem with Vibrio since like 2013 or something. So, so the, the state managed that. The shellfish is managed really well. But, you know, if you have a cut, don't go swimming after a storm in the sound. Really? Or anyway, yeah, I heard Miami's the same way because they, oh, yeah. it just flushes out all everybody's uh, septic tanks. Oh, yeah. And it's just crazy bad. Yeah, and you see those miles of dead fish along the beaches and those incredible toxic algae blooms going on. Oh, it's yeah. a mess down there. Yeah. You know, nobody's talking about it. I mean, we do have too many nutrients coming in. But, you know, like in Connecticut, there was a big effort to get rid of the phosphate out of all the wastewater treatment plants. And the, the state basically said, here's some money, one-time offer. You want to take it and upgrade your plant? Oh, cool. Or 
not going to happen. So that was some wrangling with this, you know, the legislature and, and the regulatory agencies, and, and the towns are all have either completed that or, or um, they're on their way to. Everybody's on board. Everybody's on board. And yeah. so if you didn't do it, then if they test you and you're finding out there's high levels, they're going to shut you down. Yeah, you're in, you're in violation of your permit. But right. I, my understanding is everybody went for it. So that should help with, like, the cyanobacteria. Like, you hear some of these inland lakes and things that had that blue-green algae that mm-hmm. if your dog eats it, they'll die. Mm-hmm. You know, they have worse problems in New York State than we do. And, you know, I think our water department, the people in the state who regulate all of this stuff, have done a really good job with the resources they have to come a long way in 15 years. And that's really shown, that's really helped the sound out. Mm-hmm. So the recent decision by the Supreme Court, is that... A bad thing for the wetlands? I mean, it seems to be to me, but I, I'm wondering, your, what's your opinion about the fact that they now opened it up for people to do quite a bit of stuff in the wetlands? Yeah, I mean, the inland wetland and waters law uh, for the state of Connecticut's pretty good, and it's been around 50 years last year, I think. Mm-hmm. So if it's followed, if you have good inland wetlands commissions, if it's followed, we should have state protections that are, are good enough to um, protect in Connecticut and New York. Um, we got it knocked down from, if it was 12 acres or above, you could get some protections. Now we got it down to six-something mm-hmm. acres. Um, but, you know, what was going on in the, the Supreme Court was it was a small kind of fen boggy thing that was sloped down to a lake. And... And you take that by itself, it's like, big deal, I'm going to fill this little thing in. But it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. You look at all these areas that have filled in all those little fens and bogs. are not even like wetted wetlands. And now you see massive flooding. Right. And it's happening in a lot of our – look at the Connecticut River Valley. You got Hartford. I'm sure they filled in all kinds of wetlands. And now you got cars floating down the street where if you leave those things alone – They absorb the water. They absorb the water. The river's a lot mellower. That's cleaner. But people want to be right on the water, and that bottomland's flat and accessible if you put some fill in it. We've been doing it for 300 years, sure, and it's starting to catch up. Yes, with the developers are pushing it because yeah. they want to get in there and build a house right on the water. Yeah, I mean, real estate's at a premium right now, yeah. and you know we rely on things like the wetland laws or the coastal zone program to like do the right thing, but. It's difficult when you have all the economic pressures. I don't think it's going to be that desirable soon. The way things are going, you don't want beachfront property or to be along a river. Or I mean, a lake might be okay, depending yeah. on how much how much water drains into it. But I, I'm not too sure you want to be near the water in the future here. The way things have been shaping up, it's and it coming faster than ever. Yeah. Oh, it's it's amazing. I go to this uh, lobster place in Clinton, and there's a great in the parking lot, and at high tide. The sound comes right up into the parking lot, forms a puddle, <laughs> and people are parking it. It's salt water, you know, yeah, and it's know. like that. And and I see people still building houses right down along to the edge of the wetlands. I think they're going to do it right up to the last minute. You know, they're just not thinking about ten years from now. For, yeah, I or mean, I mean, and if you're young, you should think about thirty years from now. It's going to be a different world. Oh, it's you know, I went to. Um, a meeting with some planners from Guilford and Connecticut DOT and some some other folks, and we were looking at a section of road in Guilford, I think it was 146 or something like that, into Brantford, and it, you, they put the sea level rise map scenarios on top of that road, and those communities are going to be cut off during big storm surges, and it's mm-hmm. not going to be that far into the future. And so well, some of the con- concerns are, what if you need an ambulance 
mm-hmm. and you're basically on an island because both sides of the road are flooded out. Right. Um, are you going to have to like cut a road through the trees or put a major road through a quiet residential area sure. now to reach those portions? Yeah, I read that the, the bigger worry is not so much being completely uh, submerged, but to be periodically cut off, it's like stranded, they said. It was some kind of scenario where people are going to be stranded for long periods of time from their bank, from their home, from their uh, grocery store because the water comes in for a while and stays there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to become more and more common. I mean, I heard a statistic the other day that it was a 100-year storm has now become a 19 and a half year storm. <laughs> I always amazed at that <laughs> statement. 100 year storm every year. <laughs> yeah, I know it's going to get there, right? It's funny. Yeah. No, not so funny. We're talking to Bill Lucy of Save the Sound. He's the sound keeper, which means he drives around and looks for problems that we can, you know, prevent some of the problems getting worse or maybe not at all. You know, it sounds like we're doing a pretty good job over here. You know, I like I, I, the things I hear is that we're doing not bad. I mean, it's always a, something going on, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we've been meeting with all the coastal uh, council governments, the COGS. Um, we've and that's Connecticut only? Connecticut or, only right so now. So there's somebody that's a counterpart to you over in Long Island or no? We would love to get somebody over in Northport or somewhere along Port Jeff uh, in a boat. Um, doing another Soundkeeper patrol on that. So I get over there quite a bit, and I work a lot with Cornell and other folks over mm-hmm. there. But we could cover a lot more ground if we had a Soundkeeper vessel on the on the North Shore. Mm-hmm. And I do have a, a, an associate. She's down in Westchester. So um, we're getting a boat fixed up. So we'll have a boat down to Westchester, one in Bridgeport, and I've got mine in Clinton. If we had one more over on the Long Island shoreline, we'd really be able to cover some that ground. That would be good, yeah, yeah. right. Well, it might come about because people are going to hear stuff like this and say, yeah, we want that too, you know, because it affects them, right? Absolutely. It affects what's going on. I I would hazard a guess that you're not a big fan of lawns and golf courses because of what comes off of them into the sound. No, no. And I've done worked on some uh, magazine article to, to, to that, you know, Martha's Vineyard, I believe is the place has the closest to an organic, uh, fully organic, um, golf course. And then lawns, there's been some work done through the Long Island Sound Study, which is an EPA group that funds uh, restoration grants, scientific research to the universities and Sea Grant and all of that. They did some fertilizer work, I think through Rutgers University or Clark, can't remember, but they can, they did a survey and, you know, there's folks that fertilize and folks that don't. And it was really interesting. It seems that the folks that have more income are the ones that are spending money on lawn services that are fertilizing. Because the more you fertilize, the more you can charge. Right. Right. So it's a good business model. Every time there's fertilizing efforts to try and curtail it at the legislatures, you know, companies who sell fertilizer show up and you know, they can they can well, send their lobbyists in to counter us, right? Yeah, and in the suburbia, it's about how green and perfect your lawn is, right? Yeah. I mean, I have neighbors. Mine is organic. I have a lot of weeds, and I have clover, and I have lots of stuff in my and it's not as green as everybody else's, but it's manicured. It looks good. It does the job. I, I follow uh, the, the rule of, you know, four inches high cut, you know, and so you, you can manage, and it's, it's fine, you know? It's like, come on, this is fine. I don't need 
need to have, you know, the perfect English lawn. <laughs> no, and it's softer. I do the same thing. Some parts I just don't mow. They got a few rocks. I've got, you know, almost nine acres. I got a little farm in Killingworth. And I have one pasture where it's my kid's soccer field. But for part of the year, I raised chickens on it, pasture-raised chickens. And I've let it go. And it's full of Queen Anne's lace and chicory and that mm-hmm. big old growth clover. And it's full of bugs. And sure. soccer's about to start. So we are going to have to mow. <laughs> well, my son said, let's just mow a little section. And then we can leave the butterflies and the bees. Oh, alone. he said that? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, he got it. Yeah, That's good. Old, right? That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm working on my six-year-old grandson on that front, too. You know, he's like, they're, they're the ones inheriting this mess, you know, and let's hope that they're getting the message. Sounds like your son's getting the message. That's, yeah, well, he hears it every day. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's it. it's so important. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's where it comes from, you know. That's where it comes from. But, yeah, so, I mean, really, you don't need to fertilize. Yeah, I, I grew, I started mowing the lawn as soon as I could reach the clutch on the old Sears uh, garden tractor mm-hmm. and back in the 70s and you know we just let the grass clip things fall it fertilizes the lawn fine sure and, and also there's a couple of things like uh, i use a uh, beneficial bacteria in a bottle mm-hmm. that if you spray it around that really greens things up quite a bit you know you can get away with fooling everybody that's you know <laughs> you're using fertilizer <laughs> that's, that's true i use that stuff on my garden yeah yeah mix it with some fish emulsion do a two for one kind of thing yeah no yeah. exactly yeah. we both do the same thing yeah. so so let's go back to Florida for a minute. There's some really serious news about the heat in the water. I mean, everybody's heard that story. You said it's not too hot in our sound right now, but is it has is there monitoring going on and has it gotten hotter or you know what? what I mean, it's it's hot. I think in this reporter is one station set over seventy eight degrees. I mean, once it starts hitting eighty degrees. And if it goes on for a long period of time, you get a, a big problem. But there's been so much mixing with the rain. Um, I was talking to Connecticut Water Company, and they, they do a really good job of staying on top of water temperatures and their lakes and stuff. And there's just everything's mixed up, and um, all the thermoclines are gone. So I think this year will be okay in the sound. We'll see. We'll see what the next six week, weeks bring. You bring, you know, the falls when it gets the warmest because it's retained all that heat from the summer. But Florida, they have nowhere to go, right? So coral reefs are incredibly productive. But when things get too hot, they the bleach. trigger fish will cruise up to Long Island Sound. I mean, you can catch trigger fish in, in Costa Rica, but you can also catch them in Long Island Sound. They'll ride up on the on the Gulf Stream. But once you're heading 90-degree water down there, I mean, the fish can't deal with that. So the fish, they, they, they have to leave. They have to so leave. then you just you have no productivity on your reef. The coral bleaching has been brutal this year down there. I, I was doing a show last week and there was three coral biologists on and uh, yeah, they were all talking about what was happening in Florida. You know what they're doing? They're pulling the coral out of the water and putting them in refrigerated sea tanks so they have some starter seed. To so they can reseed later. Oh, that's just that's frightening. Yeah, it is. It is. And what about uh, the, uh, I've noticed somebody mentioned that there was dolphins in Long Island Sound recently. Uh, I didn't hear about a recent report, but I have oh, every summer I get pi- people send me pictures of dolphins um, cruising around Long Island Sound, even all the way down by the Bronx. And I have yet to see them. Right. <laughs> so, I know I see them in, I go to the Jersey Shore every year and, and they're always up and down the coast of the Jersey Shore for sure. And the, the black dolphins, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, but in the sound, I've, I've never, huh. I, I know they come in and they, they move out and there's a lot of, you know, there's been good management on some of the forage fish. So Manhattan, for example, 
uh, really come back. A lot of people have noticed that there's huge schools in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So the dolphins, you know, they love eat, eating that. What that about kind of apex predators? Are there any of them? Uh, you know, we, we all saw that uh, tagged great white uh, three, four years ago that was off of Greenwich, supposedly. Right. I don't know. I, I was definitely looking around. Uh, I was up in Rhode Island this uh, last weekend visiting my uh, nephews, and uh, I was looking around, you know. <laughs> Making sure, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the pictures in Florida. The people were in the water, and the shark came between them and the beach. Oh, Just man. swimming down there, like, with a fin right there. It's like and all the mothers started screaming, get out! <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I am a fish biologist and I, I've studied with people and work with people who go dive with sharks. But, you know, I'm the Jaws generation. I have a yeah, deep remember. fear. <laughs> <laughs> that, he did a good job, right? That was a yeah. great horror film. <laughs> <laughs> he got us. <laughs> and we're going to need a bigger boat, right? <laughs> Is that, what about uh, the warm water? Is it affecting? I know they were trying to restore the oyster beds and stuff. Is that is that affecting it? Well, I mean, the oysters are resilient. You've got oysters all the way down in Louisiana, the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's not a problem. The oysters are going to be able to handle it. They are okay. really tough. But this vibro, as you call it? Oh, that, the, vibrio? the vibrio? Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, uh, you know, down in the Gulf of Mexico, it's there all summer when it's he- hot. Um, back in 2020, I think there were five cases in Long Island Sound. In New York waters, I think it was. There might have been a couple in Connecticut. And again, they probably got those from open wounds, um, but you can get sick. One person died, and that's why uh, the, the uh, Bureau of Aquaculture, they don't mess around. I mean, when I was commercial fishing, when you caught a salmon, you bled it out, and it went and cleaned it, went right into slush ice. Right. And that was with saltwater ice. So it was below 32. It's really cold. Is that what you meant when they said chill down the oysters? Chill they do right the same down. thing? They do, So it yeah. means you have to have that on the boat if you're getting oysters. On the boat, get those oysters down, and then everything that's in there should just be goes okay. dormant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why it's not a problem in the, in the wintertime when things are cold. It just is, it gets warmer and warmer and hotter I like my and hotter. oysters. <laughs> oh, me too, yeah. yeah. A little vinegar, that's the way I eat them. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, they, they have to test them all the time. And if they don't pass the test, they can't sell the oysters. So I think the state does a fantastic job of uh, protecting people and protecting the industry at the same time. Because if people start getting sick, you know, no one's going to no, buy them. Nobody's going to so eat them, yeah. They don't mess around. It's a big industry in Long Island Sound, and it's really good for the environment. Those things are really They're filled. clean, right? They're clean in the water. They're creating habitat. Um, yeah, it's fantastic to that's have them here. Yeah. That's, so, and what else is good for the for the sound that really helps out? Clams or? Clam, yeah. So we got this new project with eelgrass. So um, there's a guy, he's quite the character. He lives over on Long Island, and he came up with this idea to use the super glue that they use for restoring coral so it's non-toxic. And you dab the apex of, say, a two-inch hard-shell clam, little baby quahog, and you get four or five eelgrass seeds on it. And then you throw them in the water, and the clam buries down into the 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 mud and the sand at the bottom, and the eelgrass pops out. He plants the eelgrass for you. Yeah, and wow. eelgrass loves being with shellfish. Everybody knows that you know back in the day, the best scallop fishing was in the eelgrass beds. Clams do the same thing. They go down deeper, and they bring that oxygenated water down into the roots, and they 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 defecate and those roots take that that nutrition and they grow into the eelgrass so it was a real nice symbiosis but we've lost 
I've heard different numbers, but 80, 90% of our eelgrass from what used to be here, there was a huge die off in the thirties from a wasting disease. Who knows if that was natural or was, um, you know, a fact that we had cut down all the forest in new England at that point. And there was probably massive amounts of mud and, and, you know, some people say the tannins from the, the, the leaves, you know, were an antiseptic for some of the, the viruses and cleaned off the, the eelgrass. I don't know if that's true, but we're getting into it because our Save the Sound logo has the, the sky and the land and the, the sea. There's a little fish and then there's two blades of eelgrass. Awesome. So we tried it in the past um, and there's some great researchers. Uh, UConn, Jamie Vaudry at UConn's a really big researcher in eelgrass. Um, you've got the folks over at Cornell Cooperative Extension in Suffolk, Suffolk mm-hmm. Steve Shot, Chris Pickerel. And then um, you've got people over at uh, uh, Stony Brook, this guy Brad. They're just, they're phenomenal researchers and so they're figuring out that Brad Peterson, they're trying to figure out what are the limiting factors. And in the Peconic, a lot where, where Stony Brook is, there's a, when it gets to 25 degrees Celsius, that's like over 80 degrees um, Fahrenheit, you end up with no eelgrass behind it. So there's like a band mm-hmm. of hot water, and every summer or so, that band of which behind gets that hot creeps out towards the mouth. So everything behind that temperature line is toast, it's mm-hmm. dead. Wow. So the, he's really concerned that, you know, within a decade, there will be no eelgrass there. They oh. had been here for centuries. Well, we've got to plant more, right? So that's what we're trying to do. So, yeah, so we've got a project. Hopefully we get funded. Um, I think I think we will very soon um, uh, where we're going to do plots. We're going to stake out plots. And we're going to do it on a shellfish lease. So it's actually a commercial lease, and we're going to plant all this eelgrass. We're going to put cameras down and see what kind of crabs and fish come cool. in and steal, steal all the baby clams or the you know swans. Swans are a huge problem. Those invasive swans, those mute swans, they really, mm. they really do some damage. And hopefully we can get it going. And then we can start expanding the acreage of eelgrass out there. It's just underwater farming. And ultimately, if we can do it in in conjunction with the shellfish, the commercial growers, and, you know, the dream is blue carbon credits. So an area of your lease maybe where you can't, you know, you can't drag through to harvest, it's too shallow, but it's good for eelgrass. Maybe you can still make money off of it by growing this incredible, incredible plant that also sucks in a lot of carbon. So it pulls that carbon out of the water, puts it in the roots, and then it stores it. And then the sediment comes in off the rivers and buries it and so on and so forth. win-win. Yeah, no, it's great stuff, but it's very difficult to do. You know, we tried this method in a couple places, and it looks like it's worked in a couple, and it didn't work in a few others, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors to doing this. We don't have the the silver bullet yet. We're talking to Bill Lucy. I'm Kevin Gallagher. This is Digging in the Dirt. He's our Save the Sound sound keeper, tooling around the sound, looking for issues and dealing with them. What's your biggest concern, and what should you encourage people to do that are listening, you know, to, to help out here? Well, I think one thing people can do is, you know, join a cleanup. There's a lot of cleanups going on. Uh, SaveTheSound.org, you can go there. We have our big coastal cleanup, sign up. There's also some Sea Grant stuff going on. You can get information on that. The Connecticut River Conservancy does a source to sea cleanup. So that helps you feel engaged, mm-hmm. getting all that plastic and nasty stuff out of there. Um, I think the biggest concern we really have is, 
I don't know if it's a human attitude or climate change because they're kind of intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more people are realizing that this is a serious problem and the, the time for the games being played with politics is over. Hey, we're done, guys. We need to like, it's time to get serious and, and make some big steps and big commitments. Speed and scale, right? Yeah. Get it's going in big time. Yeah, I mean, it's frightening. Do you think, are corporations waking up to the fact that their profit lines and everything are going to go down because we have so many issues? People are going to be worried about surviving and, and, you know, worried about their properties. I mean, they're already talking about no insurance in Florida, no insurance in California because of storms. But that's just one of the issues, you know, all the other stuff that makes your life a little bit less, you know, palatable. Or, or is happening all the time. You know, you, you take the kids to the beach and you could be in algae, you know, like, right, yeah, like, like in Florida. You know? Yeah, you could eat your dog, you throw, you throw the ball for your dog, your golden retriever, and, and it sucks in a bunch of cyanobacteria and dead. Okay. You yeah, know? it's terrible. Or sick, or, um, you know, you, you, well, you grow stuff. Yep. I mean, I try and grow stuff. I have a quarter acre, and my mm-hmm. God, every year it's a new problem. It's either too dry or too wet, and, you know, More it's piss. cold and yep. too hot. and all kinds of new pests. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up looking at bugs, and I left for 30 years and came back, and I didn't know half the things crawling around anymore. And now we're seeing Red Lantern now, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, they've been up at they're, my place. They're scary. Yeah. I gonna... keep a little bottle of uh, Dawn and vinegar. <laughs> oh, there you go. I have it like in a holster ready to... <laughs> yeah, I've got it sitting there. It's Dawn vinegar and water in three parts, you know, and it works really great because you can't kill them. They hop. So, the, 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 you know, you get, get away really quick, so I spray them first, then stomp them. There you go. <laughs> slow them down. Yeah, slow them down a little <laughs> Handicap. bit. Handicap. Yeah, so yeah. That's good. Well, what about, um, before we go here, what about tools and also some events that might be coming. Is there any one tool that you would recommend for people that can find out more? Yeah, go to our website. We have a lot of blogs. We have a lot of links to other places there. That's um, savethesound.org, www.savethesound.org. You know, for 25 bucks, you can join. And then we'll send you probably more emails than you. But if you want to know what's going on, we'll, we'll make sure to, to inform you. We have another event called Paddle Cross the Sound coming up. Right. Where it's ongoing. That's every year, yeah. Yeah. And so you can go and do that. We have our beach cleanups. And we have a lot of summer internships, too. I have a, um, a couple interns right now and then a couple that we're just helping out here and there. Um, so we try and get a lot of the, the local kids, especially we had two kids from Bridgeport this summer actually three, um, and it's great to get them out on the boat. Some are really used to the sound. Some of them don't, don't even know how to swim, but they've been really, really a big asset to our program, get out there and learn, learn the ropes. Great. Well, thanks for coming in and talking to me about this. I really was curious as to what's going on. You've filled it all in. All right. Yeah, we'll have you back again. When you know, Hopefully it'll be good news and not bad news. <laughs> yeah, it's always a mixed bag. Yeah, Thank okay. you. Thank Bill Lucy, the Soundkeeper for Save the Sound. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher.